0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Who Says No. I'm your host, Sam Quinn, and we have reached probably my favorite point of the offseason. It's that magical moment and free agency is close enough that things actually feel real and tangible, but it's still far enough away that we can convince ourselves that almost anything is possible. As most of you guys know, my day job at CBS involves covering the Lakers, and they have been linked to basically every point guard in the NBA. So joining me to sift through that mess is Trevor Lane from Laker Nation. Trevor, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well, excited to, to dive into this. Yeah, the Lakers have been linked, which isn't anything new for the Lakers, but they've basically been linked to every single player on the market ever, and uh, you got to love it.
0: I'm waiting for the report that, like, you know, Rob Polinka really likes John Stockton, right? You know, like, <laughs> Oscar Robertson still has a little bit left in the tank. I really am at the point where, like, if you ask me to assign a percentage likelihood to any player on the market to be the starting point guard for the Lakers next year— I think I, I don't think I could go above, like, 10% for anybody.
1: Yeah, but just because there's so many names out there at the, at this point. It feels like everybody has been linked to the Lakers, and you're right. At some point, we're going to hear Rob Polenka has purchased a DeLorean. It's gone up to 88 miles an hour, and he's going to go find a, a point guard from the past. He's just going to bring back Magic. We're going to get Magic and LeBron side by side. That's what's going to happen.
0: Well, LeBron just did a movie with Bugs Bunny and, like, look, if Bugs Bunny can bring a moped onto the court when he's playing with Michael Jordan, like, that's some real speed that the Lakers have been missing. (laughs) (laughs) That could be the piece they need. If we were going to get a a, a Looney Tune, I think I would lean Lola, but I wouldn't rule out Foghorn Leghorn either. I just think that size, like, if AD is really committed to playing the four, I think that could be helpful. But, so what we're going to do today, I have a list of 19 players that were not on the Lakers last season that... Theoretically could, ranging from it's a genuine possibility to it's almost certainly not happening, but we have to address it. We're going to go through each one. We're going to talk about the pros and cons, and we're going to figure out who we think the Lakers starting point guard next year is going to be. I'll start with Chris Paul, and forgive me for the monologue, but I'm going to spend, let's say, 60 to 90 seconds explaining financially why this isn't going to happen so at the moment, it looks like all the Lakers are going to have to offer in free agency is the tax pyramid level. That was around five point nine million last season. Well, Chris Paul has a forty-four million dollar option with the Suns. He would have to leave a lot of money on the table to make that happen. But as we know, in the modern NBA, players can force things if they want to get to a specific team. So let's just go through these scenarios. Let's say the Lakers were to carve out cap space and sign him by trading everybody else on the roster. If they were to go that route, the most cap space I have them being able to create is around $21.6 million. That's less than half of what the Suns could give them. So I'm going to say that's probably not going to happen. And even if he were willing to take that, finding takers for all their other players would be no easy task. Let's say they wanted to go the sign and trade route. I have the Lakers at around $60 million below the hard cap right now if they got rid of everybody aside from LeBron and AD. Well, if you add Chris Paul in, I'm going to say that would cost something like $30 million. Then you have 30 more to fill out the entire rest of the roster. We saw how difficult the hard cap made things last year after the Lakers signed Montrez Harrell. We're going to talk about some other guys that might be gettable if the Lakers were willing to take on a hard cap. I think that would be too pricey for the Lakers to feasibly consider. And then you might say, well, Chris Paul opted in and got traded to the Rockets in 2017. Why couldn't he do the same thing now? Well, it doesn't benefit the Suns at all. Because if Chris Paul were to go to the Suns and say. I'm going to opt in and trade for the Lakers or I'm going to opt out. You're going to lose me for nothing. The Suns would rather lose him for nothing because without Chris Paul, they could get to around $28 million in cap space and just sign Kyle Lowry or just sign Mike Conley, sign somebody better than whoever the Lakers could give them in a trade. Trevor, have I thoroughly explained this enough? Is there anything you want to add?
1: Yes, but I won't say it's impossible. In fact, I heard from people today who said that it actually does have legs. Like it could... Happen. Um, they're they're saying that most likely what's going to happen is he goes back to the Suns. I think, and that's probably where we end up with this. But he wants to be with his family. His family's in Los Angeles. Uh, he's friends with LeBron James. You have all those narrative reasons to think that he might want to be there. And Suns might have a little bit of interest in uh, in Kyle Kuzma because of the injury to Dario Saric. So when you add that in, maybe. And again, this is the, this is the one maybe opening here is if the Suns do look at the situation and say, you know what, Dennis Schroeder might be about as good as the guys we could get on the market, and, and we can argue that, I'm sure, but but might be about as good as the guys we can get out there on the market. You can add in a couple of pieces, like, say, a Montrez Harrell, if he does indeed opt in, which was the rumor that came out yesterday, that he's actually considering opting in. And then you add in something like a Kyle Kuzma, then you can get there and you can make the money work. Uh, but again, I'll, I, I'll say that it's unlikely that it could happen, but... Uh the last twenty four hours or so I've been given a reason to think that there's a chance that it that it could actually play out that way.
0: Well, recent NBA history suggests that like basically anything is possible if the players want it yes. badly enough. And I do think like there would be reasons to think that Chris Paul wants this. You listed them. But Phoenix probably has to cooperate if if this is gonna happen and just putting aside everything else. The idea of Robert Sarver helping the Lakers seems pretty far-fetched to me. Like, I understand, like, Kyle Kuzma, I do think, has value. Dennis Schroeder, I do think, has value to the right team. Personally, if I were the Suns, I would rather have the cap space because it seems like Kyle Lowry is just going to take whoever offers him the most money within reason, right? Like, as long as he's going to a semi-decent team, which Phoenix obviously is. At that point, I don't think your favorite's to win the West again, obviously. But if you replace Chris Paul with Kyle Lowry, like, you're in pretty good shape. And if you're using cap space, you're also for the most part, protecting yourself from having to pay the tax next year. If Chris Paul comes back, Phoenix probably is paying the tax next year. So just for those reasons, I think it's unlikely, but Hey, it's the modern NBA, right? Like basically anything (laughs) is possible. If the players want it, I don't think we have to spend too much more time on Chris Paul. Um, but I am interested by this idea. Like this, there's, there's enough smoke here that I'm willing to believe there's a little bit of fire.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a little bit. Again, I'm not saying this is definitely happening. It's just it, the, the possibility is there. But again, like you said, the Suns don't want to help the Lakers. It's this weird dynamic, right, where if you look around the Western Conference, you've got you've got the Suns, you've got the Spurs, the Nuggets, the Blazers, the Kings, all these teams that the Lakers, I mean, to not put it in, in a bad way, but don't really care about. There's no hatred towards any of those teams. And those teams all hate the Lakers, right, to, to varying degrees. They see the Lakers as their biggest rival, mortal enemies, and the Lakers, they don't see them that way at all. So uh, from the Lakers side of things, we tend to forget that when we're looking at trade situations. We're like, oh, yeah, we'll negotiate this trade with the Blazers. No, the Blazers hate the Lakers. They don't want to do anything to make the Lakers better. Okay, we'll negotiate this with the Spurs. Greg Popovich can't stand the Lakers. Like, those things do matter um, at the end of the day, teams will do whatever is best for them. But you're right; that's you know, the, the Suns helping the Lakers seems unlikely. It would take Chris Paul pulling on their heartstrings a little bit and saying, "Look, I got this franchise farther than you've been in decades. I really want to be near my family. Please help me out here." Besides, if I walk, you're, you're losing me for nothing. You would get cap space. We can actually get you some decent decent stuff coming back. If you if you trade me to the Lakers, it would have to be all of those things combined. And again, that's. That's a lot of ifs in order to make something happen. So, again, I I think it's unlikely, but leave that little percent chance that it could happen.
0: I think the next guy is slightly more likely, but still fairly unlikely. And that is Russell Westbrook, who I hadn't even considered a possibility until Mm -hmm. Mark Spears of the Undefeated mentioned him, I believe, a couple days ago. Yeah. Are you in the same camp that I am that just the shooting issues are too great that it's not worth it?
1: Yeah, and it's funny because so many people just see the name Russell Westbrook and they think, oh, good player. Yes, get him on the Lakers. But the problem is the shooting. I mean, you look at the way the teams defend a guy like Russell Westbrook, same as Ben Simmons, right? They just sit in the paint. And how many times were we frustrated last season when, say, Andre Drummond was on the floor with Anthony Davis and the paint was pretty clogged up and AD couldn't do as good of a job getting to the rim because of that? Well, what's the paint going to look like? If you've got Russell Westbrook on the floor, basically guarantees that you can't have a traditional five. Anthony Davis would have to be your five because otherwise your your spacing is just shot. Even having Westbrook on the floor at all, you're going to have spacing issues. That's not to say he can't be an impactful player, but for a Lakers team that just struggled so much with shooting, it it doesn't make that much sense to go after a guy like Westbrook. And then when you add in, look, in order to get him, you probably have to include a sign-and-trade with Dennis Schroeder. Well, I could see... It, look, Dennis Schroeder wanting to go to the Phoenix Suns in a sign-and-trade, in a Chris Paul trade scenario or something like that, like that might have a little bit of a ring of truth to it. Wanting to go to the Washington Wizards, I I, I can't buy that. So I don't think it's likely this happens, but um, again, like we've said, never say never in the NBA.
0: Well, I wanted to play devil's advocate coming into this and just say, like, sure. look, clearly the obvious reason not to get him a shooting but just to go through like some of the benefits, just in case this is real, I want to know what the Lakers would be thinking here. So here's what I've got. The Lakers fell from first in points added for possessions in transition during the championship season to 19th last year. Oops. They fell from sixth to ninth in rebounding. He'd help on both fronts. Now, I do think injuries are a big part of that. I think if LeBron and AD are healthy, both of those numbers are better. Um, he's not a good defender, at least on a play-to-play basis but he's a defensive playmaker, right? Like his gambles would be more valuable and lower risk in a setting where you have LeBron and AD behind you and you have Frank Vogel coaching you. And then in theory, you add him and you're fixing your bench offense problem, right? Because he can run a billion pick and rolls in a row. He can isolate, like he can get you buckets when LeBron goes to the bench, but that's mainly theoretical because when the wizards played with Russ, but without Bradley Beal last year, they were outscored by 4.8 points, per hundred possessions. So, like, even when I look at it through that lens, it seems like most of these problems are either going to solve themselves organically or Westbrook wouldn't really help with. And then we have to look at this from the Wizards' perspective. They're trying to re-sign Bradley Beal. I don't think trading Russell Westbrook would help on that front. It seemed like they liked playing together last year. So unless Beal asked for a trade in the next week, I would say this one is pretty unlikely. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. I'd say it's unlikely as well. And for the reasons you listed, maybe the Lakers could talk themselves into it and just say, look, we're going to be hellacious in the fast break. We're going to get out and run all the time. And that's great. But then teams are going to do everything in their power to slow you down and make you play in the half court. And that's where you get into trouble. Um, But again, immensely talented player does solve some issues, but not some of the other ones in particular, the shooting. And so that's where I see this as as pretty unlikely, especially considering how much you're going to have to give up just to get to Russell Westbrook's number in a trade.
0: You have to get the supporting cast exactly right if you have Russell Westbrook. We've learned that over the years. And giving up all of the supporting talent just to get him, like, look, you're the Lakers. You'll get good guys for the minimum. You'll get good guys for your your mid-level. But I'm with you. I just think the cost is way too high, and I don't think he's realistically available anyway. The last guy in this group of, like, former Max point guards that are seemingly available, I think he's the most available out of this group. The problem Mm -hmm. is, he's just not healthy, is Kemba Walker. Two years ago, when Kemba Walker was a free agent, if the Lakers had just signed him with their third Max slot, I think people would have been thrilled. Even if they would have traded for him a year ago, I think people would have been thrilled. But right now, he just doesn't seem healthy enough to be a viable option. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, right now, a lot of people are questioning whether or not he can truly be that guy again, be that cardiac Kemba player. And uh, look, I mean, he's a he's a smaller guard. He's going to get picked on defensively. And if the athleticism is waning at all, if these injuries are starting to really take their toll, things can fall off very, very quickly. So there's a lot of pessimism right now around Kemba Walker. It's not impossible for him to regain his form. But there's also reason why people aren't nearly as high on him as they were just a couple of seasons ago, like you mentioned. So, yeah, I mean, it would be a stretch, I think, to, to get excited over Kemba Walker right now. I think he's got to prove it first. And that's exactly what the Thunder are hoping to do. They're hoping to rehabilitate his value a little bit and then ship him out, kind of what they did with, with Chris Paul.
0: Yeah, I think there's a strong possibility that it happens just because NBA teams, they're like Goldfish. They have very short memories. If we get to, like, February and he's been healthy and looking very good, I think somebody's going to give up real value for him. So in that sense, I think there is some opportunity. I just don't think the Lakers are really the team. One of my pet theories has been that Philly is going to trade for him when they inevitably fail to trade Ben Simmons for whatever insane package they're asking for, just because he's really the only, like, high upside, very available ball handler that can shoot. But I, I do think if they don't, it's probably just going to be a situation where they sort of do what they did with Chris Paul and, like, Al Horford to an extent as well it sort of seems like Oklahoma city has built in this like guest lecturer role into their roster. We're like, Oh, we have Chris Paul for a year. He's going to teach you about X, Y, and Z. And then, Oh, now it's Al Horford. I'm like, okay, it's Kemba Walker's so turn. like, they're just going to keep recycling this veteran slot for something close to the max and getting a first round pick for their troubles. I'm wondering like who's going to be the next team to give them a first round pick for Kemba Walker and who's the bad contract they're going to send back.
1: That is uh, that is a pretty good way to look at it. Yes, I, I am operating under the under the, the belief that the Thunder are attempting to, at some point, take all of these draft picks and wind up with a draft class where they just have all of the picks because it seems like they're not that far off. Like they've got so many draft picks right now, and they're probably going to ke- flip Kemba and get uh and get even more. But but we'll see. They got to rehab his value first. Uh, as far as gettable guys, though. Like, Kemba's not going to be that expensive to go get, I would have to imagine. You're not going to have to give up all your assets to get him or anything, but again, that's it's such a gamble for the Lakers on on health, and eh, I don't know if I want to take that risk.
0: Yeah, I mean, the other part of it is the Lakers don't really have bad salary to send out, right? Like, right. if you just sent out matching salary that's still Kyle Kuzma and KCP, either with Matre's Harrell or with somebody else in a sign-in trade, at that point, you're giving up, like, even if it's just matching salary, that's a lot of internal value. That's like two starter level guys at a bare minimum. Yeah. So I agree with you. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade for him or Westbrook. I'd rather trade for Kemba because the shooting is better and he seems like he'd cost less. But overall, I'm not thrilled with anybody from this group unless Chris Paul is available. That's an entirely separate conversation. This next group is guys who seem semi-available, but the downside is getting all of them in all likelihood – Hardcaps you in a sign and trade. So I'm going to give you five names. We can start with whichever one you want. Are any of these five players to you worth hardcapping yourself in a sign and trade? Lonzo Paul, Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Devontae Grant.
1: So I think the question is how much does each of these players cost you, right? I mean, the rumor that we've been hearing is that Spencer Dinwiddie wants between 20 to 25 million. Same thing for Kyle Lowry. What, you know? if DeMar DeRozan, let's say DeMar DeRozan is 15 million. Like if you're going to trigger a hard cap, that five to $10 million difference between a DeRozan at say 15 and Lowry at 25, that can mean all the difference. That can be the difference between keeping Taylor Horton Tucker or not. Like realistically, if the Lakers trigger a hard cap, unless they go the nuclear route, which we talked about before, where they just get rid of everybody except for LeBron and AD, most likely you're parting with a few guys just to fill out your roster. Maybe it's Alex Caruso. Doesn't come back. Could be Taylor Horton Tucker. You've got to get rid of maybe Kyle Kuzma, send him off and get nothing in return aside from, I don't know, second round or something that's not going to add salary on your book. Same thing with Kentavious Caldwell Pope. So a sign and trade situation, like not only are you going to have to give up some pieces, some stuff in order to get the player, but you could find yourself having to sacrifice some other things just in order to fill out a competitive or complete roster. So that's where it gets really tricky. And the dollar amount that the guy wants is going to matter so much. But if we're just going to say who would be worth uh, hard capping and, and not worry too much about the exact dollar amount, I mean, I would probably put Kyle Lowry at the top of this list here. Obviously, the Lakers have interest in him. All, almost traded for him at the trade deadline, THT. We're calling him the sticking point right now because he kind of was in that deal. Um, but he makes a lot of sense on both, both sides of the ball, uh, can shoot the three, can do the things that the Lakers need. The only issue is, of course, age. The Lakers are already a pretty, pretty old team. But he's a guy that I would be open to triggering a hard cap for, particularly if you know that you've got some other moves set up that are, are going to allow you to operate under that hard cap and fill out the rest of your roster. Uh, other than that, the next guy I would probably put Lonzo as my second one on that list just because of the age and because he can be a guy that's hanging out with Anthony Davis for years to come, even after LeBron, if if he ever does, actually hangs him up. So that's another one that I'd be interested in now that he's got his three-point percentage up. But otherwise, look, when you're looking at all these guys, triggering that hard cap can be so, so punitive for the Lakers. Um, it means you're going to have to make some pretty painful sacrifices on your roster just in order to field a full team. And that's where that's where Rob Pelinka is going to have a really tough decision to make. Because these guys are good players, but that hard cap is, uh, is a real tough thing to get around this season.
0: So let's hone in on Kyle Lowry a bit what I'm yep. wondering more than anything is the Lakers could have gotten him at the deadline and doing so would not have triggered a hard cap. You would presume that if they were going to get him at that point, they were going to offer him an extension this offseason. The number I'd seen thrown around was two years, 50 million. You know, maybe there's a third year at a slightly lower annual price. But my question is what has changed between the trade deadline and now that makes you think the Lakers would be willing to either give up tail Horton talker or take on the hard cap. Like, do you think losing in the first round was that much of a wake-up call to the front office? Or do you think this is pressure from LeBron and AD? Like, where do you th- like? what do you think has changed?
1: I mean, it could be all of the above, right? It could be, be losing in the first round made them realize that, hey, look, we thought we had a contending roster, but obviously health was an issue, and, and all these external factors were an issue as well in terms of the compressed schedule and, and everything else. Um, but at the same time, they can look and say, you know what, Dennis Schroeder was just, uh, he Pretty clearly was not the guy, not what we needed in there, especially if we go back to game five of round one when he scored zero points. That was uh, that's obviously a big concern for the Lakers. So they could say, you know what, at the trade deadline, we could convince ourselves that Dennis Schroeder, maybe he's still going to fit in and he's still going to be the guy we want. And maybe contractually, we eventually work things out, even though he said no reportedly to four years, 84 million. Maybe we can still work things out. Whereas by now, I think they've got a better sense that, okay, he's probably not that guy for us and we need something else to replace him. So I think that's something that's changed. I don't know what the situation is going to look like. is it Do you just go right back into the same sticking point where the Raptors say, well, in order to sign and trade, we need THT and the Lakers say, no, we're not going to trade you THT. Like, it, do we just jump right back into that argument or have things changed enough with the Raptors to where they say, look, we're, we're probably losing him regardless. We're going to try to get something out of him, and it doesn't have to be Taylor Horton Tucker anymore, it's going to be interesting to see how these negotiations work, um, and if that's something that can be ultimately agreed upon.
0: Well, I think this could go one of two ways, right? The Raptors, in theory, have to move pretty quickly because they might want to create cap space themselves. So if they're dragging this out, you know, at that point, you might lose out on whatever other free agents you're targeting, and the other teams in the race will as well. So I think they might have a lower price, especially because like the option to keep him, it seems like it's not going to happen, right? Like at the deadline, they could at least had that bullet in the chamber, but it seems like there are other teams that are willing to make pretty strong sign and trade offers. It seems like Philly is going to be in this. We don't know what new Orleans is doing, but maybe new Orleans is in this as well. Like there's going to be so much competition that you'd figure they'll be able to get something of value from somebody. Um, As far as the fit itself goes, though, it'd be hard to ask for a better one, right? Like, he's played with so many other high-level ball handlers. Playing with LeBron would not faze him. His his track record of lifting bench lineups, too, is so, so great that, like, you could comfortably sit LeBron for 12 to 14 minutes a night in the regular season and feel okay. Like, I have my notes up, and I have all these stats, and I have all these, you know, notes for all these other guys. Under Kyle Lowry, I just have Kyle fucking Lowry, right? Like, this is so easy that if you can get him, you you probably should. I just think it seems like other teams are going to want him more and are going to be willing to take more of a sacrifice to get him. Lonzo, I'm really into this. Like, I, I thought it was crazy when I first saw it for Mark Stein. I'm really starting to get my hopes up here. Um, when LeBron, when, when Lonzo was on the Lakers in LeBron's first season, that those lineups with just LeBron and Lonzo were plus 4.1 for a non-playoff team. That's pretty impressive, right? Like he, he ranked seventh in the NBA in catch and shoot three point attempts last year. He made over 40%. Like he seems like the perfect LeBron role player, right? Like high level defender, at least I we've seen him play high level defense. It's not consistent. Very good catch and shoot player. Super high IQ. I think he succeeded alongside LeBron for a lot of the same reasons that Alex Caruso does. I want this to happen. Like, I think this is my first choice. Can you talk me out of it, or are you with me on this?
1: Oh no, no, no. I am. I am with you. I'm with you. And there's a lot of people who are not. And trust me, there. I've seen it on on social media. I've seen so many people firing off hot takes saying saying Lonzo Ball was terrible. If you are, if you're listening, right, and you are remembering Lonzo Ball from his time with the Lakers, you have to understand that he's not that guy anymore. He's not the same player. Now you've got a guy who's shooting 38% from three, and it's not for one season. It's for two. This isn't like some fluky thing where he just did and it, it one year it's high volume, he,
0: too. It's exactly. not like he's doing it on three shots a game.
1: Exactly. And that is so important when we talk about spacing and stretching a floor and, and all of that, that that you, you're you a threat to actually shoot the ball. We can look at say, hey, Alex Caruso shot 40% from three. Yeah, but he shot twice a game. So defenses weren't scrambling out to him like crazy because he's not that much of a threat. To shoot it. Whereas a guy like Lonzo that's high volume, you're going to force the defense to really transition to you and close hard because they know that you're going to pull the trigger on that shot. The free throw percentage isn't going to stick. It jumped up to 78% last year. That doesn't mean he's getting to the line a ton, but he's still a great fit. You talk about all these different point guards. We talk about guys who are pretty good at orchestrating the offense, but at the same time, like you mentioned with Kyle Lowry, right? Having somebody who is okay operating without the ball in their hands, and that is something that isn't all that common to find, right? It's not easy necessarily to find a point guard that's fine not having the basketball. But a guy like Lonzo, he doesn't care if he's got the ball or not. It doesn't matter to him, and that's one of the great things about his game. So I still think that he would be a great fit for the Lakers, switchy as hell on defense. Frank Vogel would love that. The challenge, though, is the New Orleans Pelicans, if they're going to work with the Lakers – They've got Lakers draft picks for the next couple of seasons, right? They've got a pick swap. They've got uh, two picks that they can take, the 2022 pick, the 2024 or 2025 pick. If they do anything with the Lakers, they're going to be very careful to not make the Lakers stronger. And that in and of itself might prohibit them from trading with the Lakers because they don't want to make their own situation any worse. So that's kind of the holdup here, not to mention the fact that, you know, maybe things got a little bit testy during the negotiations for Anthony Davis. Uh, If it was another team and not the Pelicans that had Lonzo Ball, I would make this more likely to happen, but I'm with you. I would love to see it.
0: I think it would probably come down to the Pelicans having some degree of interest in Kyle Kuzma, and there were all sorts of reports when they were negotiating the Anthony Davis trade that ranged from, no, he's actually the player the Pelicans have wanted all along, the Lakers are just refusing to give him up, to, well, he wasn't in the trade Why do you think that is? It's because the Pelicans didn't want him. I think the truth is somewhere in between, but I think you're right. It would be very, very hard for the Lakers to make a pick-based trade with the Pelicans for all of the reasons you described. I think it would have to be probably Kyle Kuzma, if not KCP, but to just go on to the positives. As you mentioned with Kyle Lowry, not all hard caps are created equal, right? There's a difference between taking on a $25 million player with a hard cap and taking on a $15 million player with a hard cap, I think Lonzo would be lower slightly than say Lowry or, well, Dinwiddie seems like he's asking for the world. So yes. I think we can probably rule him out. If you're getting Lonzo for like $17 million, now all of a sudden, okay, he's not really a half-court ball handler. Well, you're still the Lakers. You still have LeBron and AD, and you probably have the space to use your mid-level exception. Maybe you're signing Goran Dragic at that point. Maybe you're signing Derrick Rose. Like, we'll go through some of those names in a little bit. There is the option with Lonzo where you could maybe walk away with two of the guys on this list, right? Like, at that point, you've solved all of your backcourt problems. You found a player who could be a long-term fit with Anthony Davis. By the way, just as an aside, something that bothered me a lot last offseason was this priority the Lakers seemed to place on finding long-term fits for AD after LeBron either retires or leaves or just isn't LeBron anymore. I personally really dislike that line of thinking because you're the Lakers and you have Anthony Davis, right? Like when LeBron is done, just create the cap space and you'll sign somebody else. I wouldn't focus on average players at that point. I would say let's focus on flexibility so that we can sign the next star. But Lonzo, I think, is an exception. I think he's a special enough young guy that bringing him in now has really tangible benefits for the AD era after LeBron. And if he's cheap enough, okay, we're pitching to free agents like, Anthony Davis will make you look really
1: good down the line, and so will Lonzo Ball. Sure, absolutely. I, I think that's uh, that's a great way to look at it, and Lonzo is a guy who shares the basketball, so that's obviously a lure to a lot of players out there. It's not. It's maybe not as splashy as, say, Chris Paul, right? Like, you go get Chris Paul, and you've got Chris Paul, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and every veteran player is going to be beating down your door, begging to take the the veteran minimum, right, to come play – on your team and be, and be part of this. I don't think the same can be said for Lonzo Ball, but again, like you said, you get him quite a bit cheaper. He's a guy you can have for a, a long, long time. He could be your point guard for the next decade, right? If everything works out perfectly. And, uh, and of course, you know, the whole prodigal son narrative, all that kind of stuff would be kind of cool as well. So, Hey, I'm, I'm for it. If you can figure out a way to make it work, um, I think it'd be great.
0: Man, Jeannie really would love that story. Like that would be <laughs> yes. so, such a Lakers narrative. I'm, and Rob would, too. Like, these are people, Like I'm not going to say this affects their basketball decision-making, but like, Rob and Jeannie seem like the kind of leaders that like would be really into that sort of story. But I agree, I, I do think it's not very likely. The next player I do think is starting to sound more and more likely, and that's DeMar DeRozan. Now, I'll just give you my opinion on this. I would not take on a hard cap for DeMar. I just think you'd have so many issues to fill as far as shooting goes. As far as defense goes, that like when you've used your biggest chip, which is presumably Kyle and KCP in a trade, and all you have left is the mid-level when you have to find defenders and shooters, I just don't think it's worth it. But I'm just going to throw out my conspiracy, not even a conspiracy at this point. Like Brad Turner, Los Angeles Times came out today and wrote that he's willing to take a pay cut to come to Los Angeles. We don't know how big of a pay cut that is. But if he's willing to take the taxpayer mid-level at that point, I think you drop everything and you get him. Because for all of the issues that he would come with, $6 million is not a lot of money, right? And we saw this with Phoenix, how dangerous it is when a team has two half-court creators that can hit mid-range jumpers. At that price point, that's where I start to say, okay, we'll trade other guys. We'll figure stuff out elsewhere. He's just such a unique scorer that we have to take the chance.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. I mean, like I I saw that, too. And my first thought was, what is that like taking a pay cut in order to come to Los Angeles? He's going to be taking a pay cut no matter where he goes. He's not going to make a substantial last season. Yeah, he's going to be taking a pay cut. But if 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 that is even a thought in his head, right, if you if you meet with DeMar DeRozan and he even mentions that you put the contract in front of him immediately and you do not let him leave the room until he signs that, because that is a ridiculous deal for a guy. Of his caliber and people look at him, they think of DeMar DeRozan from years ago and they think, okay, this is, you know, just a scoring two guard. He's actually very, very good navigating the pick and roll to the point where when LeBron's on the bench, you can just hand him the ball and say, okay, DeMar, go ahead, run, pick and roll. It's great offense. You're really, really good executing that. Go for it. The challenge is when LeBron is on the floor and Rosen shoots 25% from three and nobody's going to defend him, you kind of run into the, the Russell Westbrook problem. But like you said, the mid-range shot might be coming back in vogue a little bit, especially with what we saw in the NBA Finals. And we've seen for years now NBA defenses have been coached to give up the mid-range. That's the shot they want people taking. So if you're extremely proficient hitting that shot, well, you're going to probably find openings available to do so. So there, there is an argument here for DeMar DeRozan. There's a way that it would work. Um, but that drawback is, of course, the three-point shooting. I'm with you. I probably wouldn't hard cap the team in order to sign him, but if you can get him for that taxpayer mid-level, absolutely, you do that immediately. You don't even wait. You lock that up as quickly as you possibly can.
0: So maybe I'm just talking myself into this, but I'm not as concerned about the spacing as you are and as a lot of people seem to be Mm -hmm. because you can't just leave DeMar open, right? Because he takes one step inside the line And he goes from like a 30% shooter to like a 50% shooter. So my theory is that like, he's not, you know, JJ Redick, but he's not somebody that you're going to leave wide open either. As far as the pick and roll goes like quietly, who have his pick and roll partners been? Like who is the even above average big man that he's played with? Right? Like, I mean, I'm not saying he hasn't played with an above average big man, but like Jonas is not rolling hard to the rim. Right? Like, Jakob Pertle is not going up and finishing the same lobs that Anthony Davis is. He has never played with the sort of talent that he would have in LA, as long as they could space the floor properly. Like, I think those bench lineups could be very effective, even though, like, in the past, DeMar bench lineups have not been great. And in San Antonio, especially, the starting lineup never really played all that well. I think that was sort of an odd fit with him and, with him and Aldridge. But the bench lineups always played very well when he went there. Like, I'd be a little skeptical on that front, but man, the scoring upside is just so high and he's improved so much as a playmaker over the last few years, too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot to like there. And again, if, if the price tag is low enough, it's absolutely a risk that you that you take. Now, if it's something where he wants twenty five million a season or something like that, and that's going to severely restrict everything else that you do. Well, no, then that's probably not worth it because you are gonna have to make some some very strong, you know, adjustments to how you're gonna run your rotations around him. You're gonna have to factor in the shooting, you're gonna have to factor in his defense and figure out ways to make that work. But if you've got the flexibility, because he's on a pretty small contract to to do those things, then fine. I, I think he could be a, a great pickup for the Lakers. And I mean, we saw it when LeBron James was off the floor. The Lakers struggled to score the basketball. He's a guy who can create both for himself and for others. And I think that's definitely something they need. And that's that's why we started hearing, you know, Lakers fans, as soon as the season ended, everybody was shouting to the heavens, give us shooting, please. But it's not just that that they're after. It's playmaking. And DeRozan, even though he's not a point guard, he can provide that playmaking that I think the Lakers really do need.
0: My last thought on DeRozan, when Kawhi was getting traded by San Antonio in 2018, all reports were saying he wants to be in LA. Like, but Popovich refuses to send him to the yes. Lakers just because they have this long history of all this animosity. It would be very, very sweet for the player that Popovich ultimately traded Kawhi for to come to the Lakers on such a discount. would be like, well, thanks Pop. Like you didn't help us in the way that we wanted, but you know, the fact that you got him and that you couldn't build a winner around him ultimately is what led him to LA. So thanks for the help. Um, <laughs> We don't have to spend too much time on Spencer Dinwiddie. It seems like his salary demands are unrealistic for the Lakers. I get a little bit of a Dennis Schroeder feeling with him. Yes, me too. Where he obviously, number one, I, I think he wants to be the primary ball handler on a team or at least like not be secondary to LeBron, right? like He seems like somebody that's going to want to take more shots than the Lakers can maybe give him. He's also not a great three-point shooter. Now, I'll push back on that a little bit. The last, His last healthy season... He shot 37% on catch-and-shoot threes and 27% on pull-up threes. So you could argue that he's a better fit with the Lakers than he would be on other teams, but I just don't think he's a good enough shooter, and I don't think he's a personality fit.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, he, both he and, uh, according to rumors, both Dinwiddie and Dennis Schroeder seem to be operating under the belief that if you are a starting point guard, you get automatically 20 to $25 million per season. That is, that's your, your price target. For those guys. And, I mean, you look at Dinwin, he barely played last season due to injury. And I think he has the same question mark. If he is your starting point guard, are you in really good shape? If he's your backup, it's yes. If he's your backup, you are in great shape. But if he's your starter, I think it's a little bit more of of a question mark there. And it's the same thing with with Dennis Schroeder. Both of them badly want to be seen, though, as starting point guards. And and because they believe that's going to lead to higher salaries. Um, I don't know... Like, I I certainly wouldn't trigger a hard cap for him. And I do like Spencer Dinwiddie. I like him a lot. You know, he's an L.A. guy, but it's the price tag. That's that's the issue for me.
0: Yeah, I'm in the same boat. If he would come from the mid-level, great. He's just not going to come from the mid-level. The last guy here, we don't have to spend too much time on him either. And I'll give you one stat as to why is Devontae Graham. I just think he's too one-dimensional. 65% of his shots over the last two years have been threes. Here's the one that, like, really, really got me. This doesn't even seem possible. All of last year, Devontae Graham took fifty-four shots in the restricted area. In the twenty twenty NBA finals alone, LeBron took fifty-eight. Like to me, that just says you're not getting to the basket. And at that point, you're too one-dimensional to be worth either a hard cap or any sort of substantial contract from a contender. Yeah.
1: And given the Lakers situation, you know, they they're gonna want a little bit more versatility there. One of the reasons why they went after Schroeder is because Season before that, even though they won a championship, they were dead last in drives per game. They wanted somebody that could attack off the dribble that wasn't named LeBron James. And if you're not a threat to do that, then, again, I I think your argument is accurate that you probably don't want to hard cap yourself for that player. Even though he does have some great games um, and it's not like I dislike him as a player, the the fit is questionable.
0: He's also just too small, right? Like I have a really hard time seeing like he seems like somebody that Palenka would trade for and people would get very excited about, and then Frank would only play 20 minutes a game because he doesn't trust him on defense. Yep. Yeah, I agree. The mid-level guys are, I have them sort of split into two groups. There are two guys that I'm pretty interested in, and then three that not, not as much. So we'll start with the guys that, I think these are the two that are likeliest. That's not saying much, but just given their likely price point and their fit, that's Patty Mills and Goran Dragic. Of those two, who would you prefer?
1: Uh, I would prefer Drag- Dragic. I like the size. No, well, okay, hold up. Let me throw in a little qualifier. Are we getting Team Australia, Patty Mills? If you're That's getting that question. version of Patty Mills, then yes, give me that guy all day, every day. But we, we don't see him that often in the NBA. So I would go with Dragic because of the, the size, the versatility play on off ball. Uh, I like him a lot. Obviously, uh, he's getting up there in years and everything. But I like his, his potential fit with the Lakers. I would not be upset with Patty Mills at all but uh, but if Dragic is out there yeah I would I would definitely lean towards him
0: it felt to me like Goran Dragic was just not the same as a driver last year and he's a good three point shooter he's not an elite but like if he's not getting to the basket I worry about what that would do to him as a shooter like he fell from the 74th percentile in pick and roll in 2020 to the 48th in 2021 you know he fell from over 400 shots in the restricted area at his peak to around 150 last year I think he needs to be an elite drive and kick guy. to really power the rest of his game. Patty Mills is more of just, you know, a role player shooter. The Australian version of him is a very different player, much, a much more active ball handler. I'll say this. There have been a fair number of offensive players that have been in San Antonio and have sort of languished in Greg Popovich's antiquated system. And then have gone to more modern teams and looked a lot better. Davis Bertans is a great example of this. Like, can you imagine if Patty Mills' volume went up that much, right? Like if he starts taking like 10, 11 threes a game. Now you're talking about one of the most valuable shooters in the NBA. My fear with Patty Mills is that he started 57 games in his entire career. He has played 38 minutes in a regular season game once in the past nine seasons. I think we're scaling him up a little bit when maybe we shouldn't. I think he's more, most comfortable as a high usage bench guy and what the Lakers are looking for as a starter. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that, and I think that's interesting what she said about about Greg Popovich and his system maybe suppressing a player's value. I mean, reminds me a little bit of the uh, the Adam Gase uh, New York Jets teams where I'm a, a player leaves there and stand, suddenly so gets just, better. So you know, so, so you know what I'm, oh yeah. what I'm talking about. You leave there and suddenly you just get much much better. I hadn't thought of Popovich that that way, and uh, but uh, but that is interesting. But I, I agree. I don't think that Patty Mills. Uh, is the guy that you want to go to if you're looking for somebody to be, even if it's just a sometimes starter.
0: The next three guys on this list, well, we can, do you think there's any chance Miami lets Kendrick Nunn go before we go in on the other guys?
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think so. If, If they decide that they're going to spend their money elsewhere, um, I'm mainly looking at Duncan Robinson. If he's going to get a, a big contract, then look, the, the heater, a team that likes to have their flexibility. They like to be able to pursue any of the big uh, superstars that are out there. So I could see a scenario where they, where they do let him go.
0: My issue is he's a pretty average shooter. He got better last year and he's not a great playmaker either. He's mostly a scorer. How interested would you be? Like, let's say on the first day of free agency, Miami renounces Kendrick Nunn. He's an unrestricted free agent. How interested
1: would you be on a scale 1 to 10? Uh, I mean, it would probably be a a 5. Like, he would be a fallback. He would be a yeah. fallback for me behind some of the other guys that we've been talking about. It's not like, like, if if day one, Miami renounces Kendrick Dunn, and day one, like two hours later, it's announced that the Lakers have ran out and, and signed him, it would feel a little bit. Blue all dang Timofey Mozgov esque, where it's like really that that was their t- their first target, where it just wouldn't make sense um, if they're not able to get something done with some. And I'm not saying that none is dang or Mozgov and destined to be a terrible contract or anything like that. I'm saying he just doesn't make sense to be like the first call on your list or or anything. Um, he's an interesting player, but uh, again, he's more of a guy that you go to after a few other players haven't panned out for you.
0: Derek Rose and Reggie Jackson are sort of in the same general category of, like, injury risk, former bad shooters that have improved. Does either one of them stand out to you?
1: I mean, the Lakers have been linked to Derek Rose for, I think, a couple of years now. Um, for a while there, we were saying they needed a scoring guard off the bench that could come in and just create offense, so... I do like him. Um, I like him better as a sixth man than as a than as a starter right now. And of course, we know that Derrick Rose and LeBron James once upon a time didn't work all that well together. Uh, Reggie Jackson, if if you're gonna get the Reggie Jackson the Clippers got last season, that, sh- that shoots over forty percent from three. Sure, I'd sign up for that. I mean, there was a point where you could argue he was the best point guard in the in the playoffs. Once uh, a few players got eliminated, he was really really good for a while there. So if you're getting that guy i uh, sure it'd be hard to turn that down. The question is, how much do you buy that that's the guy you're going to get and that there's not going to be some regression?
0: So with Derrick Rose, I do think regression is inevitable, right? Like this is a 31% career three-point shooter that shot ch- 41% last year. He's probably somewhere in between. There's probably some improvement, but I don't think there's really any chance that he's shooting 41% again. Reggie, I could buy because he now has like a sample of around 900 threes where he's shooting 39%. That looks pretty stable over the course of several years. And also, it would just be really, really good for the Lakers to mess with the Clippers like that because they have no way of replacing him whatsoever. That being said, the Lakers can only go up to the tax pyramid level, right? The Clippers with early bird rights can go up to 105% of the non-tax pyramid level. So financially speaking, I think it's just likelier that he goes back there and lets like If they were really worried about him physically, maybe they wouldn't want to pay him. But there's no basketball reason not to. It's just cash. Derrick Rose, I just think, with his bird rights and his connection to Thibodeau, he's probably going back to the Knicks. So neither of these guys, you wouldn't say they're very likely, would you?
1: No, I don't think either guy moves. I think they stay. Reggie Jackson's best friends with Paul George. He's got, you know, he had that whole... I'm mean, Obviously, very very heartfelt, very moving response uh, after the Clippers bowed out of the playoffs, uh, talking about how they, they kind of saved his career and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I don't think either one of them changed change teams.
0: Now we'll go to the guys that are already under contract with teams that seem somewhat gettable. We heard Malcolm Brogdon was semi-available at the deadline. Yep. They were listening to offers. I don't think the Lakers have anything that would entice the Pacers, but as far as fit goes... You know, what we're talking about with a lot of these guys besides Chris Paul is you're choosing like two of the three. Right. Can you shoot? Can you handle the ball? Can you defend? Maybe you're getting one super elite skill. Maybe you're getting two pretty good ones. With Brockton, you get all three. That's what really appeals to me. There's obviously a number of injury risks, but like how far would you go in a trade to get him? Right. Like, are you giving up everything that the Pacers ask for or do you have like a line in the sand?
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there's always going to be a line in the sand, right? You can't overpay for a player. But if it's, you know, if the Pacers have interest, like if uh, if Montrezl Harrell does indeed opt in and they're moving, say, Turner, if they're moving Miles Turner and you want to do Trez and, and KCP and the and the first or something like that, or if there's interest in Kuzma, I would definitely go go down that route. That's probably not enough. For the Pacers, uh, they would probably want THT in the deal, and that's where you can certainly argue one way or another. But, but Malcolm Brogdon is – I mean, he, if he's out there and you can get him and not trigger a hard cap because he's already under contract, he's pretty high up on my list of targets because of everything you're, you mentioned. He's just a great fit on ball, off ball, shooting, everything he provides – uh, he would be a fantastic, fantastic get for the Lakers if they can manage to get that done. I do wonder if the Pacers feel any kind of way about the Lakers after the whole Paul George situation, the way that that played out and the tampering allegations and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know if that would rear its ugly head again, but uh, but Malcolm Brogdon would be a phenomenal get for the Lakers if they if they can pull it off.
0: We have now mentioned, I'm going to say, 20 percent of the league as having some sort of issue with the Lakers and justifiably yes. so. Because even if you don't have an issue with the Lakers as a team, a lot of teams have issues with Rob Palenka for when he was an agent. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, they're not, like, ultimately teams are going to do what's best for themselves, right? Like, if the Lakers make the best offer, I think they would take it. But you don't have that built-in advantage that, like, you know, Boston had in dealing with Kevin McHale when he was running the Timberwolves. So, I, I, if I could get Malcolm Brogdon, like, I am personally in the camp that, If it took two first round picks, if it took Talon Horton Tucker, he is such a good fit on both ends of the floor that I would do it. You'd probably have to load manage him a bit. He hasn't played more than 64 games in a season since his rookie year. So there's a little bit of an injury risk there. I just think the fit is so good that you do whatever it takes. Ultimately, though, I think the Pacers are just going to keep him, right? Like, I don't see what getting Talon Horton Tucker really does for them. I don't really get what, like, what would their goal be if they traded him? I, I don't see it. It just, I would love it. I just don't think it's going to happen.
1: One that I yeah, feel is I, a I, bit
0: more likely. Oh, you can go ahead. Oh, no,
1: I was just I was just agreeing with you that I don't yeah. think it's all that likely. But again, he would be a, a tremendous
0: fit. One that I feel is a bit more gettable. You know, we talked about Lonzo Ball as the prodigal son. What about Jordan Clarkson, right? Like the Jazz right now are only $3 million below the tax line, and they haven't re-signed Mike Conley yet. That team is going to get very, very expensive. I do think there's a scenario where if they could trade one of their core, not core guys, but like one of their secondary guys to save some money under the tax, it's something they would consider. So my scenario here is, let's say Dennis Schroeder leaves, the Lakers trade him or sign and trade him into somebody's cap space, get a trade exception, and then turn around to Utah and say, hey, we'll save you a bunch of tax money. Just give us Jordan Clarkson. We'll give you a second round pick. Or maybe like, you know, something in that vein.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I I see the Jazz as another team that, that, you know, they're not going to be fans of the Lakers. They're not going to want to make a Western Conference foe better. Um, I mean, he's the reigning sixth man of the year. So on one hand, you could argue his value is probably never going to be higher, but he's also pretty critical to that team and what they do when their bench unit is in there. So I I have a hard time, especially new ownership coming in, too. Like, they're not going to want the team to take a step back. They're going to try to push forward for – Or even more success. I don't know that they would move him. But if they would, sure, he's an interesting guy. He's really become kind of what we said back when Jordan Clarkson was a rookie would be his ultimate role. And that's to become kind of like a Lou Williams-esque bench scorer. And that's basically what he has evolved into. And he's become very, very good at it. So uh, he would be a nice fit in that regard. He's not a guy, though, that is going to handle the basketball for you all the time. He's not going to create stuff for other players, but in terms of just, Hey, give him the ball and he's going to put it in the basket. Yeah. He can definitely fill that role for you.
0: You know, it's funny because he played with LeBron in Cleveland for that one playoff run. And at that point in his career, it did not seem like he was ready to defer, right? Like there was that stretch of the finals where it just seemed like it's Jordan Clarkson time and LeBron's looking at him like, dude, no, no, it's it's not. not." (laughs) Um, So now I think at this stage, he's more comfortable with that, but I do think you're right with a new owner. It's a little unlikely that they would take the step back right away, but in a year or two, I do think there's a chance that they do. Next two guys, we don't have to spend too much time on them, but they are former first-round picks that are on teams that don't seem too invested in them, right? Like, the Chicago Bulls seem like they're going after a point guard. They're probably going to get somebody higher up on this list, maybe Lonzo, maybe Dinwiddie, maybe Schroeder. It Mm -hmm. seems like Kobe White is now sort of in this position where – He's not going to be a starter going into his third year, which is the very important year for young guys, because that's when they become extension eligible or rather afterward. I wonder if the Bulls would say like, you know, we're not going to start Kobe White if we can maybe get a good rotation player for him. Is that something we consider? Is his upside high enough for you to consider like maybe trading Kuzma for him?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Look, Kobe white, 15, four and four or 15, five and four, sorry, last season. Um, that's, that's solid 36% from three. If you believe he can run the offense and he can be, uh, and he can be that guy off the bench for you. Great. I don't know if you, if you pencil him into a starting role, if that's what the Lakers are looking for, at least at at this point, but still a young player with plenty of upside. And, uh, and he's a guy, Look, if, if the cost is Kyle Kuzma, yeah, I'd be, I'd be up for that in terms of, uh, just that being a guy that you'd want to take a chance on.
0: So my issue with him is that he doesn't really have one elite skill on offense on synergy. He's not in the 61st percentile or better in anything. I love the speed. I love the shooting upside. I love the size. I just think like, this is a project that some other team should absolutely be taking on. I don't think the Lakers trying to win a championship next year. It makes that much sense. And then, Aaron Holiday is another one where, like, I do think he's going to be a starting point guard for somebody down the line. I just don't think it makes sense for the Lakers to be that team, even with the L.A. ties. You know, it would be it's amazing to think that they haven't really had an extended run with any of the Holiday brothers at this point. But (laughs) I I would love it. I just I, I don't think this is the time for that.
1: Yeah, you're not going to experiment too much. You don't have a whole lot of lot of room for growth here, right, in, in terms of – I mean, you've already got Taylor Horton Tucker. You don't have, you don't want to have a bunch of guys where in two years they're going to be at their best or three or four years, whatever it's going to take for these guys to really get up to speed. Your ideal scenario is probably getting guys who are you know mid to late 20s who are ready to win now but could also be part of your franchise for the future, which is kind of what they did last offseason when they got – uh, when they got Trez and when they got Dennis Schroeder. now obviously they didn't work out the way they wanted it to. But Kobe White, Aaron Holiday, they, I think they're just a little too far on the young side of things. Like you can argue Kyle Lowry's a little bit too far on the old side, but he's such a great fit. Um, these guys go the other way, where they're they're just a little too young for their windows to really line up with what the Lakers are looking for right now.
0: And the other thing I would be worried about is last year's team had so many guys that were playing for contracts and it clearly seemed to affect them that I wouldn't want to. I mean, I'm not opposed to bringing in like one young guy on a smaller role, but like this, this is such an important place in the rotation that we're talking about that having somebody play for a contract and maybe try to score more than, you know, be a part of the offense and defer to LeBron. I think that's a problem. And that's the argument against this next guy who I think is, probably the highest upside guy on this entire list, which is Colin Sexton. So I've got a stat for you. This is my I believe in Colin Sexton stat. In NBA history, only 16 players aged 22 or younger have averaged 24 or more points per game on 57% true shooting or better. They're all all all-stars. The last two guys on that list are Devin Booker and Trey Young. So there's a little bit of a trend forming here, right? Guys that we looked at, or rather other people who weren't as smart about them looked at, and said, these are inefficient gunners. These aren't guys that are going to fit into an offense and be a great all-around player. Well, look what happened in the playoffs, right? Like, these guys are clearly all-around great offensive players. Colin Sexton hasn't fit as well into a team framework. Like, clearly there's some ball hog issues here. But I'm pretty optimistic, given the other names on this list, that he can get there. How far would you go to trade for Colin Sexton?
1: I mean, he's only making six million, so that's the, so the really the question is, how, would you take on Kevin Love in order to trade? Him, yes, right, because because that's in order for the Lakers to give up any real assets, that's probably what you're looking at. Because on a six million dollar contract, there's not that much that you could really trade to the Cavs and make the money work. Um, I, I mean, I guess in theory the Cavs could take on money, right? They they could do that, but Colin Sexton, look. The, the potential is here for him to be the guy for the future next to Anthony Davis, right? If, if everything clicks with him, he could be the third star coming in within the next few seasons here next to AD that leads the team into the future, right? That's, that's within the realm of possible outcomes that, that could happen. Um, and we all think back, of course, to that game where he, I mean, we obviously not truly single-handedly, but he went berserk against the Brooklyn Nets. Right. And took out this team with all these stars. And I mean, that was an incredible performance. This guy is extremely talented. Uh, You can question the defense a little bit. Right. But it has shot pretty well. I mean, shot a, a fairly high efficiency on some very tough shots, shots that wouldn't be quite as difficult on the Lakers. So really, it just comes down to would you accept that kind of relative cap pain of, of dealing with Kevin Love being on your books. And I, I think there's a lot to like here with, with Colin Sexton. Um, I, I like him a lot. I like him a lot. And if there was an opportunity to, to do it that doesn't require sacrificing Taylor Horton Tucker because you're bringing on a guy like Kevin Love, I'd, I'd be very tempted to do it. But if it looks like Kevin Love, he just got injured with Team USA, what, a week ago? If it looks like he's going to give you nothing for the next season or the next couple of seasons, that's where maybe you hold back but I do think there's a scenario where Kevin Love becomes, I mean, like the Blake Griffin, where Blake Griffin goes from Detroit to uh, to Brooklyn, and suddenly he looks like he can jump over IKEA again when he couldn't even dunk a ball when he was with the Pistons. I think Kevin Love could return, you know, maybe a fifteen million dollar per season type of value. But if he's not healthy, that might throw the brakes onto onto everything here. But I do like well, Colin Sexton a lot.
0: I'll throw this out there to you as far as Kevin Love goes. I mean, I agree with you. I do think there's a chance that being in the right situation revitalizes him. But A, let's say you do get nothing. I think there are two possibilities here. Number one, there are other bad contracts in the NBA, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you wanted to say, like, okay, we're getting nothing out of Kevin Love, fine. Can we add a little bit of salary on top of him and maybe swap him for John Wall? I don't know. Like, go through the other bad contract in the NBA. Maybe at that point you say, well, we're going to have a bad contract no matter what kevin love for kemba walker and we're gonna make kemba our six man with no pressure right like maybe there are other things you can do with that with that contract or the worst case scenario like you get nothing out of him next year well then you have a huge expiring contract the year afterward that right. you can use to do something else so it's only genie's cash right that's all it is there's no cap consideration there's nothing that you can't do if you take on kevin love so if genie's willing to pay the cash and also like you know, resign Caruso and sign and trade Dennis for something else. Like, I think at that point Sexton is so valuable that I would give up THT. I would give up however many picks it takes from Cleveland's perspective. I just think opportunities to get guys this talented are so rare. And I think the theoretical fit with the Lakers, it's underrated because Sexton has been on this awful Cleveland team that he's had to take all these very, very hard shots. I don't think that's really an accurate representation of how good he would be with the right talent. He shot almost 47% on wide open threes last year. How many of them would he get with LeBron? He would get quite a few, right? I think the defense is a concern because he's small, but he plays with a lot of intensity and he's got a long wingspan, right? As far as small guards go, those are things that you want to see. I personally am in the camp of, like, if you can get Colin Sexton, just do whatever it takes to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm I'm in that camp as well. I think he's a tremendous player. I again, I'm I'm very high on THT, so that's where I, I hesitate a little bit. But this guy has a ton of talent, and like I said, he's got the potential to be the guy moving forward. If you believe, if you're the Lakers and you believe that he is going to be that guy, then you do what it takes to get there, and you do what it takes to go and get him. Worst case scenario, you get to look at him for a year, and then you got to pay him. Right? You're going to have to pay him after this season. He's going to get a new contract. So you have to believe that he is going to be that star level player moving forward. If you're going to sacrifice what the Lakers would have to, in order to get him. But I agree with you. I think talent level is very high and he is certainly a guy who could be that guy that not only gives you a boost this season, but well into the future, he could be on your roster for the next 10 years because he's that young. So that is a, it's a really intriguing option. If that's out there, we've heard him connected to the Knicks already. But if the Lakers can get into those discussions, it's absolutely something that uh, that they should give real consideration to.
0: The last guy we'll talk about is Terry Rozier. I don't think he's available right now, but eventually the Hornets are going to have to decide, right? Like is Devontae Graham our long-term partner for Lamelo? Is it Rozier? Are we going to pay all three of those guards? And then like, you know, Miles Bridges is extension eligible. Washington is a year away. They're probably going to spend some money on a center. Like, Eventually, they're going to have to make some financial decisions. I wonder if they would consider trading Rozier at the peak of his value. How interested would you be if that was the case? And do you think he's at all available?
1: Um, you know, I, I think that statistically in his game, what he provides, they, there certainly should be some interest there, uh, particularly the three-point shooting has looked really, really good for him the last couple of seasons. So that's obviously an attractive thing. Uh, I heard some things a couple of years when he was back with Boston that there were some character questions. But, again, people change. I'm not going to hold that over him forever or anything like that. Uh, I think he's definitely an interesting fit. And, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, oh, the Lakers, they've got so many teams that dislike them. It's not like they've got that, you know, Kevin McHale with, uh, with Kevin Garnett and the whole Boston Celtics trade and all that kind of stuff. Well, Mitch Kupchak is is running the the, the one
0: team that actually likes the Lakers.
1: That's right. We found them. Some, there it is. So maybe, maybe assuming no hard feelings with uh, with Mitch, maybe there is a little bit of an, of an in there where you can get something done. And uh, and if so, I think Terry Brugier could be could be a fine target for them.
0: The the issue I would be afraid of is when Boston had that team that everybody said was going to win sixty five games. He did not seem comfortable, you know, sharing with Gordon Hayward and sharing with Kyrie and sharing with all the other scorers on that team. I think his ideal scenario for himself is I just want to take as many shots as I can. I don't think he would be super comfortable in that sort of, I don't want to say sidekick role, but like, let's just say role player role. Um, The skill set with his shooting, like shooting over 39 percent on eight threes a game, like that is very, very significant. He's another one of these small point guards that's much longer than he is tall. So I, I think he's not a great defender, but certainly like a serviceable one. So if he were available, I would say he's somebody you should go for. I just think after the year that he had, I think Charlotte has so much goodwill right now that they just don't want to break up what they have.
1: Yeah. Yeah, agreed. I don't think they would want to do it. But you know what? It's worth a phone call to Mitch. He won't say a lot, but but it's worth a phone call to find out uh, exactly where he where he stands and, uh, and if it's something that would work out. Again, Terry Rozier, he wouldn't be the top of my list, but... I mean, if you if that's where you wind up, that's not bad. That's not bad at all.
0: Well, speaking of being worth a phone call, Trevor, we've gone over 19 point guards. Is there <laughs> anybody else we've forgotten? Like, is there anything that we should be thinking about besides these guys?
1: I mean, I think we've covered everybody that's out there right now, at least everybody that's, well, that's rumored to be I, on the move.
0: I just realized that we did forget one pretty notable guy. His name is Dennis Schroeder.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's that's true, but it really it feels like and maybe we're, we're jumping to conclusions here, but it feels like he's gone. It just, I agree. just with everything that's been going on lately with the way the negotiations went down th- during the season with the Lakers trying to trade him at the trade deadline. It just doesn't feel like he's coming back. And look, we, we say never say never in the NBA. Things can happen. Maybe things do work out. And I still think this point guard market is insane and there's not enough landing spots for all of these players. So the potential is out there that the money runs out, the landing spots run out, the music stops and Dennis Schroeder left without a chair. And he comes back to the Lakers and winds up doing like a one year deal or something, or a one plus one. So he can get back out of the free agent market the season after like that possibility is, is out there, but it just everything that we've heard recently in terms of the Lakers looking for a playmaker and the names they're being associated with suggests that that's not who they see Dennis Schroeder has so i don't think he's coming back but again i'm going to leave that little bit of
0: possibility out there all i'm hoping for at this point is they get something back for him whether it's a trade exception or an actual player in a sign and trade i just think both sides have agreed at this point it was not a good marriage but we'll close with this we've now gone through 19 guards 20 if you count dennis who do you think is the likeliest and what would be your first choice that you deem somewhat realistic
1: Oh, man, a lot of the there's so many guys that they've been connected to and so many that have been that have little you know drawbacks in terms of, OK, you trigger the hard cap or you get this, you get that. I'm going to say DeMar DeRozan is the likeliest because I think he's the age, the L.A. connection. I think those things are going to matter. I don't know if you get him for the taxpayer mid-level, but I think that he makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of landing with the Lakers where like. Kyle Lowry, right, who would probably be, if I could pick anybody off this list, if all I want to do is win next season, Kyle Lowry might be my guy in terms of the most gettable, if we're operating under the assumption that you know Chris Paul probably does stay with the Suns. Kyle Lowry, I think, would be a great, great fit. But I don't know if it means a lot to him to like be a Laker versus being a, a Pelican or a Sun or, or whatever. DeMar DeRozan, you know, Growing up in L.A., being a Laker would mean something to him. And so that's where I would say that he is the most likely one to wind up actually playing for the Lakers and doing what it takes if it means taking last or something like that, playing, the, playing ball in order to uh, in order to get to L.A. So that's what I'll go with.
0: I'm starting to agree with you. I came into the offseason thinking it's going to be Patty Mills or Goran Dragic. It's just going to be whoever the best player they can get with the taxpayer MLE is going to be. It's starting to seem more and more likely that, A, their eyes are pretty big here, right? That they want a real big name, not just somebody who can fit in alongside LeBron and AD, but like actually stand alongside them. And DeMar, credibly, could could be that guy, right? Like, I don't think that he's quite the All-NBA player that he once was, but I think as far as a third scorer goes, he's grossly overqualified for that job, right? If I were to say the one that I want the most... I just, I can't quit Lonzo, man. Like, I I can't help it. Um, I'm such a sucker for the good story. I think he's such a good fit. And I think you could probably get him and find some other way to supplement him with more of a ball-handling point guard if you really had to. So I would say my first choice is probably Lonzo. Really, my first choice was trading for Kyle Lowry at the deadline when it wouldn't have triggered a hard cap. But we're already past that. So among the options here, I think Lonzo would be my first choice, assuming Chris Paul isn't available but I'm starting to agree with you. I think it's probably going to be DeMar. But Trevor, I've taken up way too much of your time. Where can people find your work?
1: Oh, no problem. Happy to happy to hop on here. Uh, you can find me over mostly, most of my stuff is now over on the LakersNation.com YouTube channel. We do new Lakers videos there every single day. We do a live show Monday and Thursday nights at 9 o'clock Pacific time. You guys can catch us there. Uh, we also have all of our written work up over at LakersNation.com, and of course, everybody can find me on social media at Trevor underscore Lane on Twitter, at Trevor Lane NBA on Instagram and Facebook.
0: Trevor, it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I don't want to commit to any specific programming notes because of just how quickly things can develop at this time of year, but we'll have plenty of episodes coming up in the near future, so for now, go like, go subscribe, uh, go do all that good stuff, and we'll be back in the next few days.